This year celebrates the 100th year, the centennial anniversary, of the founding of a candy company that was started in the home basement of a man who lived in the Northeast U.S. Now, today, this company has grown to be the top-selling candy and confection brand in the country. Do you know which one it is? I'll tell you the answer coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of The Inner Life. And I hope it's been a good week for you, a good first uh, two and a half days here of Lent. And looking forward to being with you through Lent, being your Lenten companion here uh, as we support each other, pray for each other here um, during this season. It's it's such a wonderful time to be able to look ahead and have that, that knowledge that, yeah, this is that penitential season, but uh, the celebration, the joy that comes at Easter. Well, so that question, the, the candy company there. In 1923, 100 years ago, a man named Harry... He started making different candies in his home basement. He lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania, home of Hershey's chocolate. So he used the chocolate that was made by the Hershey company in some of his creations. But no, Hershey's isn't the brand that I'm talking about. So Harry, he worked on developing some different candies and finally got a hit with one, something that he called penny cups because he sold each one for one cent. Harry's full name? was Harry Burnett Reese Sr. And his penny cups are what we now know as Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And the company, it's grown well beyond those days, of course, of the home basement startup. Today, more U.S. households purchase Reese's products than any other confection brand in the country. And the Reese's brand, it accounts for just shy of about 50% just barely less than 50%, 5-0, of all seasonal sales in the U.S. for candy. Valentine's, Easter, Halloween, Christmas, and beyond. Nearly 50% of all the candy sold in our country for these holidays is that combination of chocolate and peanut butter. And it's a delicious pairing, isn't it? I also find it fascinating. It's a pretty recent invention. I mean, all of my grandparents were living before the invention of the modern peanut butter cup. Now, I'm not trying to make you miserable by talking about peanut butter cups if you've given up chocolate or sweets or something like that for Lent, but things just seem like they were always meant to be together. That's why I say it's a recent creation, you know, chocolate and peanut butter. They seem like they should be together, or like a burger with fries, macaroni, and cheese. If you had a bowl of cooked macaroni noodles... With nothing on them, if you're like me at least, you'd look at that bowl of just plain noodles, macaroni noodles, and and immediately think something's missing. This is incomplete. I think we, as people, as humans, we're drawn especially to pairs of things. And that's because in our very essence, we are a pairing. We are a combination of two things that make us who we are. A human person, you me. We have two essential parts that comprise us. You have a soul and you have a body. Take away one of these two things and you are no longer whole. You're no longer complete. 
I saw a news story a little over a month ago about the governor of New York approving legislation to legalize the com- composting of human remains. So after someone dies, if they want to have their body turned into compost, now they can specify this in their will in the state of New York. The New York State Catholic Conference opposed the bill, stating that this composting process, quote, does not provide the respect due to bodily remains. Why? Why does it not? And what exactly is the respect that is due to our remains after we die. What does the Catholic Church teach about how we should care for a body after someone dies? And why does this matter? Well, if if your complete makeup as a person is the union of your body and your soul together, what should we keep in mind when our soul is apart from our body? How should this inform our decisions for our burial or the burial of those that we love? Well, this is what we want to talk about today on The Inner Life, and I'm very glad to welcome back to the program Father Joseph Johnson as our spiritual director. Father Johnson is a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis and the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Father Johnson, welcome back to The Inner Life. Happy Lent. Thanks, Josh. Happy Lent to you with my stomach grumbling now that you've been talking about that candy. (laughs) I know. Sorry. Right right around lunchtime, too, for those of us who are, uh, you know, East or Central time zones here. So, um, well, so, Father, we want to talk about the importance and what the Church teaches regarding Christian burial. Uh, but before that, the, the reason, of course, that I, I, I talk about this pairing, uh, this important pa- pairing of body and soul— this informs what we then look at. So can you maybe talk about the significance of the fact that we as humans, we do have both body and soul? Because that's not, that's not how God has created the angels, even God himself, you know, as, especially before the incarnation, the second person, God, we are taught, is pure spirit. So what's the significance of us having both body and soul? Right, and I think, Josh, it's I am body and soul, you know, because so, so many people go off the rails over the course of the centuries because they think of a soul trapped in a body, mm, and then sure. at death the soul flitters away free, and that's actually so wrong. I am body and soul together, and the body and the soul were not meant to be separated, and this is, again, the great, great example that Jesus gives us uh, when we talk about grief, when we talk about mourning. Jesus goes to the grave of his friend Lazarus, and he weeps. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the light bulb dawns, and Jesus says, wait a minute, I'm God, I can raise him. Bing! Resurrection! Lazarus, come out! You know, and of course, it just strikes us as, as a little bit insincere, Lord, didn't you know that you were God before? Didn't you know that you had the power to raise him before? Why would you weep? Are these fake tears, crocodile tears? No, they are real tears because even knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus shows us this is not how it was designed to be. It's not meant to be that the body and the soul would be separated. It's not meant to be that we would be separated from our loved ones either. You know, 
God is always about uniting things, reconciling things, bringing things back together. And sin and the devil are always about splitting things, dividing things, pulling things apart. So if we understand who I am as a composite body and soul, then I realize that both my body and my soul need to be respected. Part of of recognizing what we need to do for our spiritual lives is recognizing that the needs of the soul are every bit as real as the body. My stomach, as we were talking about, thinking about candy and lunchtime, you know, my stomach grumbles and says, I have a hunger. My soul has hungers that are every bit as real. And am I going to feed my soul? Of course, the greatest, the bread of life, the, the Holy Eucharist, the, this, this manna, this, this bread come down from heaven to nourish my soul? Or am I going to fill my soul with junk food, all the passing things of this world, the clutter, the garbage? And then I can't be surprised if my soul ends up being unhealthy, just like I know if I fill my body with unhealthy things, my body is going to be unhealthy. But so having that understanding of the human person, the totality of the human person, the, the, the reality of the needs of both body and soul, prepare us then to think about what happens when that separation does happen. When it, when it occurs at death, that the body and the soul are split apart, what do we do? We don't just cast off the body. And this, of course, is the, the hallmark of the early church, the first Christians, the way they treated the dead set them radically apart from the rest of their society. That the rest of the society, uh, especially, you know, in the, in the Roman Empire, the norm was cremation. But for the Christians, no, because we believe in the resurrection of the body. The body in a glorified form, but that the body will be raised and reunited with my soul on the last day. And therefore, the body which has served uh, as, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, the body must be respected, uh, treated with care and, and reverence. Uh, and, and that's the, the bottom line for all of the particular rules that the church is going to make about this. It's that, that understanding of the dignity of the body. Mm. Uh, so a couple questions out of that. One is when a person dies then, there is that separation of the body and the soul. Does this mean that the souls that are in purgatory, those that are in heaven, that they are in an unnatural state right now? That, that you know, and, and I, I don't know to what degree maybe we might know this through perhaps private revelation of some sort that's been a, approved by the church. Do we know, uh, you know, are those souls, you know, kind of in this longing state then, waiting, saying, <laughs> I can't wait to get back together with my body? I think we would call it an incomplete state, okay. you know, that, 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 that there is something more, a, 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 full, a fullness that we don't yet possess, that, that even those who have gone before us and, and are rejoicing in heaven, there is something yet to be anticipated on the last day. Uh, that I'm not fully me uh, without my body. And so the glorification of the body, the reunion of the body and the soul, that is something of the joy of, of heaven that is not yet attained 
uh, until the last day, except, of course, for Our Lady, who was assumed body right, and soul right. in yeah. heaven. Elijah, we could also throw into that right. category, yep. too, sure. Yep. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned, though, that those early centuries, right out of the gate, how Christians treated the bodies of the deceased different than pretty much everybody else in their contemporary society, their culture. But even within the church, there was a heresy that came up early on, Gnosticism, that tried to talk about how anything that was material, the physical, was wrong or evil, that it it, it wasn't good. So this is something that even this idea, you know, you said that that there's this kind of thought that the the soul is freed, it casts off the body. That's something that's been from the very beginning of Christianity. Absolutely, and and that's where we find some of it coming from various pagan influences, some of it just coming from people thinking stupid thoughts, not understanding the the beauty of God's design, the beauty of God's creation, that the body's dirty. Uh, and we're stuck, and it traps us, and it weighs us down. And this comes back over and over again. Uh, even the Puritans, you know, with this kind of looking down on the body and uh, and the like, not understanding its dignity. St. Francis of Assisi got into trouble at first because his whole notion of this radical poverty, people thought, uh-oh, here we go again. Here's somebody renouncing the, the beauty of God's creation, all that. Of course, they found out soon enough, no, it's the opposite. He was rejoicing in creation, rejoicing uh, in the dignity of the human person. But there were plenty of people at the time of Francis of Assisi that were rejecting uh, the, the goodness of creation. So it's, yes, from throughout the centuries, all the way from the beginning, it's been a constant tension to try to, to keep this understanding correct uh, about the dignity of the body. Talking with Father Joseph Johnson today, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, talking about what the Church teaches regarding death, Christian burial, the importance of being buried and the body being respected. And uh, there's a lot of confusion out there quite often about what should be done, what should not be done after someone dies, what should happen to the remains, the human remains. And if you have a question, maybe there is some confusion, you're wondering if you're able to, you know, uh, put something in your will, or if you have, you know, maybe a family member who is doing some of that end-of-life planning, what is allowed, what is not allowed, and and the reasons behind it, of course. Uh, You're welcome to call in with your questions and speak with Father Johnson, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. So, Father, um, you know, you talked about that in those early centuries, cremation was the norm for everyone except for primarily Christians. So what is the ideal for Christian burial for someone who has died? Well, it is exactly that, preserving the body intact and, and burying it uh, and it's it's both it's it's a two part thing. We've we've talked about the the dignity of the body, but the second part is this: we're incarnational, right? That's what it means that we have a body. Uh, but but it also means for those who are left behind that I don't just think thoughts about my loved one. I need 
my senses in some way to be able to connect. And so having a place to go to, to remember my loved one, and to, to make uh, on, on the emotional level some sort of connection there is important to us. That's, psychologists will tell you this. You know, that, 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 that that's part of the grieving process. That's, that's part of the way that we deal with death is that we have to have ways to maintain connections. And so that's why you find in Rome the catacombs and Pope St. John Paul II, when uh, the great Jubilee of 2000 was coming and, and pilgrimages were, were forming, he said every single pilgrim should go to the catacombs. Right? And there in the catacombs, that's where the Christians buried the dead. And they, they marked those graves with signs of faith. And they would go there and pray there. Uh, and, and we have all sorts of, of, of historical documents talking about the Christians going to their loved one's grave on uh, the one-month anniversary of the death, on the two-month anniversary, on the three-month, on the six-month, on the one-year anniversary, every year you know, that, that they went there. We have talk of the Christians going there and celebrating the Eucharist there amidst uh, the, the tombs of their beloved because we share this hope of being reunited in eternity. Uh, and so that, that sense of, of our need, the living need, uh, to reverence the body as well as for the body of the dead person to be treated as it should be. Both of these are important aspects to us understanding the Church's teaching. Uh, Father, when we come back, uh, we're already getting some phone calls, so uh, we'll, we'll try and get as many calls as we can on the air here um, in the upcoming segment. But I also want to talk with you about the place that a body is buried. Why is it important that it's specifically that that body is buried in sacred or consecrated or holy ground? Uh, so let, let's pick up on that coming back here. Again, our phone number, if you would like to call in and speak with Father Joseph Johnson, 888-914-9149 as we talk about uh, Christian burial today. Maybe you have that question, um, what the Church teaches about burial, about cremation, what you should or should not do with the remains of, of a loved one, or what you should do in your own planning for your end of life, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's many years down the road. Uh, but, you know, as you're trying to take care of some of those details in your own life, what the Church teaches. The phone number, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, today speaking with Father Joseph Johnson, the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and having a conversation about what the Church teaches regarding Christian burial. And maybe you have a question about that, about cremation, about uh, what you should or should not do with the remains of a loved one. Uh, maybe you have a question about the importance of uh, funeral mass, having a mass said for someone who has passed away. Uh, we'll get into that here coming up in the hour as well, but uh, you're welcome to join in and call with your questions. 
And the phone number into the studio is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. So, Father, right before the break, um, as we were talking, I said, you know, let's let's pick back up on the importance of being buried in sacred or holy ground. Why, why is this something that the Church calls on us to hold as, as something really quite crucial? Well, certainly, Josh, we have this tradition that, uh, like if, starting in the catacombs, that, that we would keep people together, actually, because this sense of a communion of saints, we live together as disciples of the Lord Jesus here, and we're on a journey together to where we're going to together rejoice with the Lord in heaven. And so that sense of being united uh, and that sense of united in life brings us together in church. So it is that the cemetery becomes a place where we are united in awaiting the resurrection of the body. And if you go through some of the beautiful older cemeteries, you'll find Often in the, in the middle of the cemetery, uh, there'll be a, a Calvary scene, you know, a large crucifix and, and maybe Our Lady and St. John at the base of it with an altar right there because they would actually celebrate Mass uh, there for the deceased, uh, whether that be on Memorial Day or All Souls Day. Here in Minnesota, we, we can't usually do All Souls Day outside <laughs> because of the snow. Yeah. But that sense of coming together to pray, coming together in the hope of the resurrection, and that our loved ones resting together there, awaiting the resurrection. And so those places are set aside as holy places, because the human body is this living temple, right? So that, that when the body is laid in the ground, we still honor it as that temple that it has been of the Holy Spirit, and there are special blessings that we, we give uh, to those cemeteries. Now, some people are buried in military cemeteries, so they're not consecrated ground, or some people have non-Catholic relatives, or maybe someplace where you live there's not a specifically Catholic cemetery. That's okay. Part of the burial rites, the priest or deacon can actually bless that grave, so it is still consecrated ground. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. One of the other questions that comes to mind, too, is, you know, what what about somebody who, you know, there's just an unfortunate natural disaster, or maybe somebody who was serving in the military, but they were killed in action, and there was never a chance to recover their body, to give them a proper burial. What does that mean for their bodies? And, and you know, what if, if that's the case for me, I know that I have a relative who maybe was lost in a battle in some sort of military conflict. Can I ask the priest uh, at my parish to help, you know, in some way so that they have that same sort of approach that we'd give to somebody who is a civilian who is buried in a Catholic cemetery? Certainly the, the rights of the Church provide for it, that, that you can have a, a Mass for the dead without the body present. And, and even I know of some places where they would erect a memorial. It's not a grave marker because there's not a grave, but maybe in the cemetery to put a memorial there, remembering that person, again, because of our incarnational need to have a point of contact. So obviously, those who are lost at sea, those uh, that a, a horrific accident happens or are killed in war and the body's not recovered, you know, we leave 
the, the human person uh, to, to the mercy of God. Uh, and when nothing can be done, nothing can be done. Sure. We, we recognize our, our limits. But when things can be done, we want to do everything we can to, to honor and respect. And I think of just in the past uh, five or ten years, there have been several uh, people that, that had loved ones who were killed in, in the war, whether that be World War II or Vietnam or Korea, and their remains were not known. But with advances in genetics, now some of these unknown soldiers are being actually identified. And the joy that you hear about when, when the family receives word, we have identified your loved one's remains. And then they bring the remains back and they have a, a special ceremony and, and bury the remains. And it's a joy. It's a, there's some closure. That, that Part of our grief is open-ended if we don't have that sense. Uh, now, again, it's not always possible, and, and there are ways that we can work our, through our grief without it, but it's the normal, the natural way uh, to do it and to honor the loved one. Well, and, and I'm glad you bring that up, you know, the normal and the natural way. And we are talking about the ideal here, but, you know, if, if I'm someone who's listening and I haven't in the past for whatever reason, maybe out of ignorance, maybe I wasn't involved in the decision-making, the process of what happened with the remains of, of you know, my parent or another loved one— uh, again, going back to what you said, we rely on the mercy of God in those situations, and people shouldn't get too worked up or beat themselves up. You know, if there was something done that was, you know, there, there was no, there was no ill will, there was nothing malicious about the intent. It was just, I, I didn't know better, or you know, we were trying to fulfill the wishes of somebody that we loved when they said this is how they wanted their remains to be taken care of. Exactly. And there's a lot of confusion about all these things. So, right. so people, if, if as we talk, things come up and go, uh-oh, we did that, shouldn't, you know, be, you, you were ignorant, you didn't know, don't, don't worry about that, you didn't intend anything uh, against the Lord or against your loved one in that. Uh, so that's exactly right, uh, Josh. We want to put people's minds at ease there because there is so much confusion. We're going to try and clear up some of that confusion, but we don't want to make people feel bad at the <laughs> right. same time. Yeah, we're going to try and clear up some of the confusion. Yeah, try. Um, it was a little. Uh, Father, let's go to the phones. Again, the phone number if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Joseph Johnson today, 888-914-9149. As we talk about what the Church teaches, the Catholic Church teaches regarding burying our loved ones about cremation, um, all the different aspects of what might come into question there. Uh, maybe you have a question about what you should or should not do with the remains of a loved one, or if you're uh, maybe thinking of that end-of-life planning for yourself. Again, the phone number, 888-914-9149. Father, Kay is listening in Racine, Wisconsin. Hi, Kay. Welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air. Hello. Thanks so much for taking my call. My mother-in-law died 10 years ago. I was the one who pre-planned her funeral. A sister-in-law from out of state requested she be allowed to take some of her ashes back to Michigan with her to keep and, you know, honor her in her way. Now, I explained with the help of the catechism why she could not do that. So when the day came for the burial, the interment of her ashes in a non-Catholic cemetery, she ran up to the funeral director with a baggie and a cup 
and scooped up some of the ashes before they were interred. I told her it was wrong. I asked her what did she think was going to happen to those ashes after she and my brother-in-law were gone and that they really needed to be interred with the rest of her remains. And she took them home anyway. I'm going to be seeing her next month for a family reunion, and I'm wondering if I should ask respectfully for those ashes back or if I should just let it go. Yeah, that's a, a painful situation, and thank you for bringing that up because one of the things that we have to recognize is that even if I have a clear idea of what the church uh, requires, if I have a clear idea of what the dignity of the body and what reverence for that looks like, doesn't mean that everybody else is going to, and I don't always get to call the shots by myself, right? And and so sometimes we're outnumbered. Sometimes people do just intervene and do things, you know, and so we have a responsibility to, to live according to the truth, but uh, obviously we're not always in control. So with your specific question, Kay, I'd say, no, you've made it abundantly clear what the right thing is, and you don't want this to become a perpetual every time you see her, this, there's a battle over mom's ashes. You know, don't, don't do that. Uh, there, she knew you would give a very clear, unequivocal witness. Uh, so that, that's not, you know, but people emotionally grieve in all sorts of funny ways. That's the thing, too. It's not always a rational thing. Uh, you can explain something to them and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and yet they decide to do something else because they get carried away by their emotions. And obviously, at the death of a loved one, emotions are running high, and so family feuds and tensions can, can emerge, uh, and people can make decisions that they wouldn't rationally make, but but uh, this isn't a normal circumstance. So again, I'd say don't make this a running feud. Uh, you have given the, the appropriate witness, uh, and the, the Lord is, is going to take care of the rest of it. You know, maybe at some point in the future, the Holy Spirit will nudge her uh, to do the right thing, but, but for now, not. The, the other thing is, if you you're the, find yourself in a family where you know, the children vote, and some people think it's a great idea to scatter mom's ashes all over the place, you know, and you can't outvote them. So you're stuck. Well, maybe what you do is you say, all right, I'm going to the mass, but I'm not going to go to that part of the ceremony because I'm opposed to that. So I'll give my witness to the sanctity and dignity of the body by not even being present when they're going to do things uh, like scatter ashes. Okay, I hope that's helpful. And, you know, as Father said, that's a very difficult situation. Um, so I'll say a prayer for you that all goes well as you, uh, you know, try and navigate this in the future here and try and keep the peace in the family. Um, Father, let's go to Gabriella listening in California. Hi, Gabriella. Welcome to the inner life. <clears throat> Hello. Hi, did uh, you have a question? I did. Um, I was wondering, I'm a newer Catholic, and one of the things that shocked me when I converted was that we have shrines and, and places where, like, pieces of dead saints are kind of, like, all throughout the world. So I was wondering how that's not, like, letting them rest. How does How is that relevant? 
Oh, it's an excellent question. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And it's a common one. So uh, not just for a new Catholic, but, but many people say, well, wait a minute. You know, you can't scatter the ashes, but here's, a, here's the thigh bone of, of Saint such and such, and, and the leg bone is there, and the, and the arm bone is there, and the skull is there. As long as the guiding principle we come back to is reverence. Right? So for, for a normal person, the way we reverence the body is by keeping it intact and, and bearing it whole. That's the normal way of reverence. The saints are held up in a particular way as instruments of, of God, as an, as an example of holiness, but also as an intercessor for us. We see even in the Acts of the Apostles that, that people wanted or even in the gospel itself, Jesus' garment, they want to touch his garment. Or in the Acts of the Apostles, they want the shadow of St. Peter to pass over them and they'd be healed, uh, you know, and, and all sorts of things like that. So we already find in the accounts of the martyrs uh, from, from already, you know, the, the apostolic times and, and just after the apostles, that the relics of saints were, were cherished in a, in a different way. And so what we're doing is when we split up the relics of a saint, we're making that saint's presence in a way, their physical presence, a way, a point of contact, more widespread as an intercessor and as an example of holiness. Um, so it's not irreverent what we're doing. It's just a different form of reverence that is accorded to those who are uh, canonized. So I, I hope that helps. It's still sometimes something you're, hmm, I'm still not sure about it. But, but trust me, it's, it's the same principle of reverence that underlies both. Gabriella, excellent question. Thanks for calling in. And uh, again, our phone number here, 888 Father, a lot of different people calling in. We're going to try and get to as many phone calls as we can. Um, one of the things I wanted to go back to as you were talking with Kay, you know, there was the, uh, you, you put forth the idea, well, um, maybe there's going to be a scattering of ashes. I don't want to participate in that. So I, I participate in the funeral up until that point. What if I'm in a position where I'm maybe the executor of a will, where a parent or some other relative has died, and in their will they've specified something for their burial or something done with their remains that I then find problematic as a Catholic, how do I navigate trying to honor their wishes as best as possible while at the same time not violating my, my own conscience? Excellent. Because uh, again, we find ourselves in all these odd situations. Uh, well, I would say this, if it's legally specified and you are legally obliged as executor, you either have to do it or you have to excuse yourself and let someone else take over as the executor, which is a possibility. Right um, now, if it's not legally obligatory, but it's just something, you know, grandma always said she wanted her ashes scattered. So we're going to honor her wishes. If that's where we are, then I think you sit down with the family and say, look, grandma was a good Catholic. Yes, she said she wanted her ashes scattered. But this is what the church teaches. Grandma has now passed beyond where her wishes are. And she's in the presence of Jesus. And the one wish grandma would have is, let's do the way, things the way that Jesus wants them done. Let's do the way things Jesus' church says to do them. So it's not dishonoring our loved one's wishes. 
if we go against those wishes when those wishes are contrary to to a tenet of the faith. Um, so if it's not a legally binding thing, then I think, and and if as long as we can get everybody on board, yep, you know, Grandma sees things clearer now, uh, and so so we can we can say, no, we're not dishonoring her; we're actually honoring her by bearing her the way the Church says she should be. Uh, Father, we need to take one more quick time out. Um, we're going to try and, again, get to as many of your calls as we can. Jason, Kevin, Sheila, Nick, we're going to try and get to you coming up next here on The Inner Life. We'll be right back with Father Joseph Johnson as we're talking about Christian burial, what the Catholic Church teaches here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. And again, our phone number, 888-914-9149, as today we talk about what the Catholic Church teaches regarding the burial of those we love who have passed away, and what does the Church teach about cremation, about what you should or should not do with the remains of a loved one. Uh, Father, before we go back to the phones here, quickly, wanted to go back to a story I mentioned at the very beginning of the hour and that's New York State legalizing the composting of human bodily remains. New York is now the sixth state in the U.S. to legalize this process within the last few years. And I I referenced that the Catholic conference there in the state was opposing that legislation. I I, I have the suspicion here that some of the underlying principles— of what happens in that composting process. Some are fine, others are problematic. And the ones I'm thinking are fine is that, well, the body naturally decomposes anyway, you know? Uh, so that's that's probably not an issue there. It's probably more the fact that this composting process, something unnatural is being done to the body along with the body then being scattered in different locations, not necessarily being laid in holy ground, maybe uh, that, that it's not kind of keeping in the forefront the hope of the resurrection. Those are my thoughts, but can you kind of help maybe unpack that for us? No, I think you're exactly on the right track. Uh, you know, that the bishops of New York are opposing it says to me there's something in that process that's not right. Uh, not knowing exactly what that process is, uh, you know, I can't pinpoint what it is. But, but again, you've enunciated those principles, that, that there's a natural decomposition. And we're even able to, to aid that, so to speak, you know, that for, for years— you know, in European cemeteries, because they're so crowded in these cities that people have lived in for hundreds of years, you know, you can sprinkle lye on the body that helps the body decay faster. We don't have an objection to that. It's a, still, it's a natural process. You're just accelerating a natural process. But again, there must be something else with that, what they're saying in New York, that, that's going to be uh, beyond the pale of what we think is due to the dignity of the body. Uh, Father, a uh, very, very common question coming in, and Sheila is one of the people calling and asking it, listening in Rockford, Illinois. Sheila, welcome to The Inner Life. What's your question for Father Johnson? 
Well, I don't know if I missed it, but the question is about cremation. And I was thinking from Ash Wednesday, from dust we came to dust we shall return. And so I'm thinking cremation is a way of returning to dust. If you do it reverently, if there's a funeral mass, a funeral service with it, um, and you're buried, the remains are buried, the cremains are buried in a Catholic cemetery. Does that follow all of the Catholic Church's teachings now? Yes, thank you. That's a change in practice. You know, before, uh, because, again, cremation was the way that the pagans buried their dead, you know, dealt with the body, the Christians had a, had a horror for cremation because what we believe about the afterlife is so different than what the pagans believe. But cremation, even then, was allowed over history in certain circumstances, times of plague or war, where there was not the just physically impossible to take care of all of the remains uh, in a dignified way and, and also preserve hygiene and, and things like that. What the Church now says is that cremation is an acceptable way uh, for, for a Catholic uh, to dispose of the body. However... The cremated remains, and I kind of resist using the kind of abbreviation that the contraction cremains, because again, it, it, it sends a wrong signal, I think, to start depersonalizing. We're talking about the cremated remains of a person here. Uh, so so that, that person's cremated remains must be disposed of the same way the body would be, meaning buried in the earth or in a mausoleum. So, so you're right, this is now... Uh, the church's practice allows for that, with the caveat, as long as the cremation is not a repudiation of the resurrection of the body. So as long as we're not denying a tenet of the faith, part of the creed, we're not denying that the body will rise again, then cremation is acceptable. As you said, we remember our mortality, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Now, uh, with that, though, the church's preference, it's not a requirement, but preference is that the cremation happen after the funeral mass, so that the body itself would be present at the funeral mass. And so that's something that uh, we see less and less of, because sometimes it's cost that's driving this. And to, to have the body there in a casket means a hearse and all these extra expenses that cremate, just going straight to cremation is a cheaper way. I'm telling you that we spend money on weddings we shouldn't be afraid to spend a little bit of money on funerals. We want to do it the right way. But if it's not possible, again, the church just says it's our preference that the body be there because it gives that sign of hope of, of the resurrection. The other thing, though, with cremation becoming more and more popular, what I see is a very disturbing trend uh, along with the, the manner of disposal of the cremated remains through scattering and other things is delaying Oh, yeah, we're going to, mom died this week. We think sometime around the 4th of July, we're going to have a family picnic and, and then we'll have the funeral then. No, that's, that's just wrong. Uh, it's wrong in so many ways. Spiritually, it's wrong because the funeral is not primarily about us reminiscing. It's prayers for the dead, for the deceased person, right? But also, humanly speaking, a psychologist will tell you, you're, you're delaying the grieving process. We, we need to start moving through those stages of grief. And without the closure that a funeral and burial bring, 
we're disrupting that process. So again, we want to be attentive that yes, cremation is allowed, but there's a certain way that it should be done even when, when the person is cremated that, uh, that allows this natural grieving process and that the spiritual part of what we're doing is honored uh, and praying for the dead. Thanks, Thanks for, for bringing yeah, up that question. That's a, I'm, I'm really glad you called in, Sheila. And uh, Father, let's uh, let's go to Jason listening in Texas. Hi, Jason. You're on the air with Father Johnson. Hi. Um, I had a question. Um, my mother passed away in the beginning of COVID in 2020. Um, there were, everything was shut down. We, we weren't allowed to have any kind of funeral mass for her. Or even a, a, we couldn't be, be by her side at the burial. We had to watch from the car. Um, the deacon did come and, and bless her at the funeral home, but that was all we really we really were able to do for her. I did have masses said for her, you know, you know, for you know her anniversary of her death and her birthday. But I feel like um, it was uh, we didn't do enough for her. And, uh, uh, is there anything else we could have done or still can do for her? Well, I would say this. First of all, Jason, don't beat yourself up. I think you did everything that you were allowed to do, right? There was nothing more that you could have done in those strange circumstances. There were laws saying this is what's allowed and that's not. So don't beat yourself up. I think what's lacking is not anything for her. You've honored her the best you could, and you've had masses celebrated for her, so you've got the spiritual you know, gift that you're giving of prayers for her, repose of her soul. But I think what I'm hearing between the lines is that you feel something missing. So I would say maybe pick a day, you know, maybe it is her birthday or, or an anniversary of her death, and have a memorial mass where members of the family come together. Or if it's, if it's just the, you go to mass in the parish, and it's not a special mass just for your family, but it's just a mass in the parish, and then you, you go together uh, to have a meal together, and you go and put flowers on your mother's grave or something like that. I think that's what's missing is, is, is helping you through your grieving process, but I don't think you've cheated your mother of anything. You've done everything for her that, that you could have done. Mm. Jason, I hope that's reassuring for you. Uh, Father, we've got time to get at least one, if not a couple more calls on the air. Uh, let's go to Nick, who is listening in Wisconsin then. Hi, Nick. What's your question for Father Johnson? Good morning, Sal. Thank you for taking my phone call. My question is, what is the Catholic teaching on organ donation? Excellent. So organ donation is allowed by the Church. Uh, there, there are just certain caveats, meaning... If the donated organ doesn't mean the death of the person, right? So certain things can be donated after death, you know, up to a certain point. Certain things, uh, but that the donation doesn't cause death. That's that's the the caveat. And I would refer you to the National Catholic the National Bio. Oh dear, I'm going to get the name wrong. It's the National Center for Catholic National Catholic Center for Bioethics or something that has lots of good. Uh, material on their website to help through, go through that, what are the biomedical ethics of organ donation. But the Church is not opposed to it in, in principle, it's just that, that we can't have the donation itself be the cause of death of the person. Understood. Okay, thank you. All right. And, All right God bless you. Uh, what you're talking about, Father, is the National Catholic Bioethics Center. And uh, the priest, I think, most familiarly known to people from uh, that center is Father Tad Beholcek. Uh, the website, 
ncbcenter.org, ncb as in National Catholic Bioethics Center.org. And you can also look up Father Tad um, just at his website, fathertad.com. Uh, Father, we're down to just a, uh, about a minute, minute and a half here. Um, I wanted to go back to what you were saying a moment ago. In I think it might have been in response to Jason, um, or perhaps it was Sheila. I don't know. We've taken a number of calls here. But the importance of having that funeral mass said. Uh, you know, it's not our, our opportunity to remember. It's our opportunity to pray for that person. If somebody is, you know, wanting to pray for someone, is there anything, is the Mass the most efficacious way to pray for that soul? Absolutely. There's nothing that compares to the Mass. Beautiful. So that's it. And then and then the, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, though, would be a special devotion as well. Uh, the Rosary, obviously. But nothing compares with the Mass. That is the greatest gift uh, right there. And that's why we don't talk about a celebration of life and things like that. It's, it's this celebration of the Paschal mystery. It's the celebration of Jesus' life and our incorporation into that eternal life through baptism. And that's why the, the coffin is draped in a white cloth to remember baptism. That's why the Paschal candle that was, built, that was lit uh, at the time of our baptism is also burning there by our coffin. Yeah. It's, it's a celebration of Jesus' life, which has conquered death. That's what we're celebrating. Well, it's always good to have you on the show, Father Johnson. Uh, we're down to our last 30 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Lord, give your peace to all those who grieve their loved ones and help us share the hope of the resurrection. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. And I hope you can stay with us here because we have Mass coming up here in, oh, about 40 seconds from right now. And I want to say thank you for being a part of the program. Apologies to those who called in and we just didn't have time to get you on the air. If you tuned in late, of course, go back, find the podcast, relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Share it with a friend somebody who might have questions about Christian burial. Have a blessed weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday.